This is Coda Radio, episode 119, for September 15th, 2014. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors. That would be DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and our sleepy host is always the excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hello, Chris. Good, Good afternoon, or is it morning? I get the sense it might be morning. No, it's afternoon. I've been up for a while. Yeah, I had I had a marathon night too. It's one yeah, of these days. I actually didn't. I actually thought this was going to be my first show today. I didn't even think I was going to be able to make it in to do tech talk today this morning. But then Microsoft had to go do a little thing like buy Mojang. You know what, what I mean? Yeah. So how to how can I not do a tech talk show when Microsoft buys Mojang? It kind of seems like that's sort of the definition when you show up and do the job. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I drugged my butt into the studio this morning, and I'm all right. I've been managing a steady stream of Diet Coke. I literally have one can right here and then an unopened can next to me, so I can just keep the poison coming as we do the show. But we are going to get to the uh, – actually, I want to take a look at sort of the purchase from Notch's perspective. He had a really compelling short but sweet yes. blog post yes. that I wanted to sort of dissect with you. And there's also another big uh, purchase going on in the development community. But we should probably start with our feedback. Let's do it. We got some fired up feedback this week. Uh, boy, this first one is kind of long, but I'm going to get into it because uh, it's taking a shot right at you. That's always my favorite. You know, Those are the best ones. That's how I roll. That's how I roll. So he says, uh, hello, Chris and Mike. This is Matt. Uh, okay, this one will likely go long, but I'll try to keep it as succinct as possible. I believe that when people say things like privacy is a myth or privacy is dead or privacy is only possible on a small scale with non-digital devices, it's a cop-out. It seems like they're really saying privacy is hard and I don't want to deal with it, so you shouldn't either. The fact of the matter is, as Moxie Marlinspike said in a presentation a few years ago, these are quickly becoming choices that aren't really choices anymore. Most people wouldn't willingly walk around with a government-mandated tracking device in their pocket, but few would walk around without their cell phone. Cloud services are quickly going the same way. Yes, you can opt out using them, but give up a large and growing, and some say, yes, you are, and some say larger amount of functionality to do so. Like the story Chris mentioned a few weeks ago about iOS 8 and uh, Amtrak, if you shut off location services... On your device, I'd wager that feature wouldn't work anymore, and it's a genuinely useful feature. Clearly, the market will eventually respond with a solution to this problem. Some transparency service will come out and solve this problem for those willing to pay for the service. The real question is, what will we do once this happens? Is there an easy way to imagine a future where the technically savvy people have a responsible expectation of privacy, while others don't? But that isn't a good thing, is it? People need to be educated, and we, as technical people, need to start educating them now. I know it's something most geeks wouldn't consider doing, but going forward, an understanding of technology will be more of a survival skill than almost anything else. And education of the populace is the first step towards getting those entrenched idiots in Congress to put legislation in place to solve the problem for good. Just my two cents. I had an interesting thought, too, like, what about like um, something where if if this piece of data is stored anywhere in that service's cloud service, storage, whatever, in, in an image backup of a device, 
uh, in in your photo stream, in your Google Plus library. If if it's stored anywhere, like it has to have like a like an indicator on it. Like there, it needs to be flagged in a way that says this file is present somewhere online in our services, and click here to remove it from everywhere on our service. If end users just had one-to-one guaranteed control like that, that I could tap this picture, I could tap this message, and know that it's removed from all backups, from all uh, uh, re- revision storages, whatever they have, uh, maybe that would maybe that would kind of solve the problem. Because this thing is, is I think part of the, the thing that I, and we'll move on from this iOS 8 photo topic, because I think it's kind of getting old, but I think one of the things that really has stuck out with me as I've gone through this is like, well, how can we expect end users to know when there's literally no visual indication that it's happening at all? There's no progress bar. There's no upload check mark. There's no upload queue. There's no visual indication at all. In fact, to the detriment of the use of the service. Like, if you have an, another iOS device and you're waiting for the photos to sync over via PhotoStream, there's zero control you have over that. There's no way to initiate that process. And there's no way to get a status update on that process because it all just happens via magic and you don't get any any indication at all. And the that process of making it look like magic has taken away all information to the users that anything's even happening. So they, they don't have the ability to know any better. Yeah, so I mean, I think the, uh, you know, the writer's email kind of undercuts, at the very end, he kind of undercuts his own point by saying, you know, the folks in Congress have to deal with it, right? Unfortunately, that's the only real answer to this question. And Though I get my attitude seems very like defeatist and cop outy. It seems more like re- more like a rela- the re- reality of the situation. Yeah, like I'll I'll be you know not to get too political, but I, I do not believe you know that an income tax is moral, right? I think, for instance, other than governments, the only other organization that has that is the mafia. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> um, to me, that's an immoral thing. You should be taxed on spending, not on earning, right? Monetary we're taxed on both, but does that mean I don't have to pay my taxes? No, right, of course right, not. Right, right, I see what you're saying. Right? Does that mean I can say, "Listen, um, here in Eatontown, we're not paying taxes anymore"? Thanks. Mm-hmm. No, right? That, that's just like saying, you know, yes, you're right. The, the government needs to change the laws around privacy, but until they do, you know, waving a saber around and freaking out about it doesn't really do anything, and. I think his the point might have been if you raise community awareness, that puts pressure on the on the legislators. I, I, so the way the laws are now is as, as the vendor of technology or as the, you know, as Apple in this case, right? You are not incentivized to optimize for privacy, right? You're right. incentivized to optimize for storing data forever. Yeah. Big so, data is all valuable, right? I mean, everybody's got... Well, not, not even valuable, you know, the, the legal implications are sure, as long as you're willing too. to hand over data, yeah. you're totally not liable. Yeah, right, right. Hmm. So let me ask this question. If if I'm Apple, I have all these photos, and God forbid some of them are of, you know, exploited minors or something like that. And on principle, I refuse to hand them over to the government for any reason other than a formal warrant. Um, and one of those minors is killed as a result of my refusing to cooperate. Under the current law, I'm liable. Apple's liable. Tim Cook is liable, Right. So are you willing to say that it should be the other way? It should be always refusing to cooperate shields you? Well, and I think the bigger the bigger issue really is, is Congress or can the legislation be in a place to even address this issue? It seems like by the time they would even have anything, it would be out of date because the industry moves too quickly, especially these right. particular types of services they're developing so fast. Uh, they're really at the infancy. Um, and also how screwed up 
would it be? Like, take just one of these, one of the, one of the entrenched, interested parties. I mean, you could pick Yahoo, Apple, actually not so much Apple, but Microsoft, but definitely, absolutely, wholeheartedly, Google literally has a nationwide army of lobbyists with lobbyist groups in every single state in the right. United States of America, plus one of the largest lobbying firms on retainer in D.C. Okay, that's Google. This is something that they've, they've developed since Eric Schmidt stepped down and became the primary interface to the federal government as they've gone into areas like internet services and self-driving cars and drones. It's become very much in their interest to be part of this game. And the thing is, is now they're there. They're in the system. They're buying change. off. They're buying off lawmakers. So how are we going to? How are we as a public going to convince them to do anything when there's an army of lobbyists who are going to try to slow down that progress? Because at the end of the day, it's going to cost their bottom line. It's not even about the bottom line, right? It's in a strange way, you know. Chris Fisher is as an individual incentivized to encrypt all his stuff to be secure. But you know, in the climate we live in, I don't. This isn't my belief, but I could definitely see someone like your favorite Senator Feinstein get up there and say, we are incentivized to have all data stored and be unencrypted so that we can pull it to check for, God forbid, terrorism or did you the see exploitation the, uh, of minors. Did you see the story going around today that uh, Comcast has begun warning Tor users that they're going to get kicked yes. off service? Right. So this we're going in the other direction, right? I mean, I, I definitely understand the outrage, but to me, it's a little naive. It's a little, uh, it's kind of silly, Right. Like, you know, the mention that the market's going to handle this. Well, the market decided when people refused to pay for software. So first it was, I'm trading data to advertisers for free software. Well, now people realize data is super useful and more valuable than your money. So you're never, ever, ever going back. Yeah. I, I see. I, when I say that I want the market to work it out, I mean, like, I like, I want, I want, I want somebody to find a way to have a successful business model on protecting your privacy. Like, let's let's just jump back and let's look at not. I hate doing this. I hate making Apple look like the good guy in this scenario. But th- right. this is the this is the most recent this is the most recent use case. Look at uh, Apple Pay and how they're doing that with tokenized payment. So that way, there's no transmission of your credit card information, your identity, any of that. There's no location tracking or even where you're at when you like anything like that when you buy it. There's no exchange. Okay. I think that is huge. And that shows you because they're making money on the sale of the device, not on your data. I don't know if that is, prefer- I don't know if that's going to be throughout their entire, uh, you know, corporate ethos and how they design all their products, whatever the hell you want to call it. But I, I, I think that is a good indicator of their, they're looking at privacy potentially as a selling point. And that's all I'm asking for is if some company comes along that's in it, that has a market position that actually makes a difference. So not like these one off black phones right. or whatever out there, but somebody who can actually push the industry in a direction says, you know what? Privacy is more than just like something we're talking about. We're actually going to design our stuff so that it is super private from the beginning. This token-based payment system, the reason why I bring this up is because a payment system like this is such a treasure trove, such a big data treasure trove, right? And the fact that they're passing on that to me is perhaps portrays their overall strategy towards privacy, which is a good one in my opinion. Well, one, they're getting you know a cut of each transaction, right? <laughs> so- yeah, yeah. It's a small cut, but you know, a penny here, a penny there, over billions of transactions. Uh, that is right up. The other thing I would say is, so yes, Apple has more of a focus on privacy. Well, I mean, sure, a lot. I mean, I'm just pointing that out because that was just what was just introduced. Right. There's, I mean, and, and, if you want to go that direction, you could also say cryptocurrency is. Yeah, I mean, you could take it to the nth degree. Yeah, and, and then that's nonsense, right? 
for the, for the vast majority of people. I would say that Apple is a luxury brand and one of their probably differentiating uh, qualities from their competitor, Google, is going to be we do not use your information for anything, period. But that's that's part of being a luxury brand, right? Um, I don't know, but can yes. you trust it? That's the other thing in this day and age. I don't know if you can even trust it, even if that is supposedly part of their brand. I, I just don't know. Right. I mean, this is a much longer conversation, but mm-hmm. it, re- it really it comes down to what trades are you willing to make in the name of privacy? Because privacy for good people also means privacy for bad people. And, you know, all these nice techno, you know, arguments kind of don't stand up to the, the lady's kid who was killed in some kind of attack, right? Like, if you are you the guy willing to go on Fox News and, and be that guy and say, well, your kid's death is meaningless, I'm sorry. And I, I think that's where particularly, you know, the JB crowd kind of falls down. It's all textbook, you know, idealism. Then you hit the real world and it's like, oh, my God, of course we want to be able to stop the terrorist attacks, right? I don't even think you have to go as extreme as as that. I think just the example of people lose their photos on their phones and it destroys them. Like, you know, I've I've heard of people who they have the only pictures of their kids on their phone or their 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 favorite dog that died or whatever or you know, like th- this amazing trip they just went on and then they dropped their phone in the pool and they lost all the photos. Well, but that's an argument in favor of all of this cloud backup. Well, that's my point though. I mean, I think sometimes yeah. we forget there are also legitimate use cases for average users that are more important to them than the privacy aspect. And I think that is a hard concept for some people in the audience to understand is that for some people they're aware there's a privacy trade-off, and they're absolutely comfortable making that. And not all of us are. And some of them are cognizant of what they're doing and think it's fine. Right. Some folks, it's you know the practical, I guess, luxury of never losing their photos is more important than I don't know. It, you know, it, it's kind of a not, and it's one of those things where the writer's correct. The government's going to have to act, but they're not going to act in the way you want. They're <laughs> not going to do a total, you know. X amendment of the Constitution, you have absolute privacy. That's never going to happen. Yeah. I think it would be all junked up at this point in time yeah. anyways. Uh, all right. Well, last email on this, just a quick one. Uh, Esteban writes in, Apple's responsibility, he says as follows. The car companies tried to stop the requirement for airbags. With time, they turned it into a feature. Chris is correct. People have no idea when information is being backed up. They should at very at least be given a warning or show a progress bar, etc. So I think his point is, is like sometimes safety features get mandated and they are able to turn it around into a selling point. So it does go that direction. Yeah, and in Apple's defense, I mean, not that we're just depending Apple all day, but the first time you turn on your phone, it does ask you if you'd like to back your stuff up. So, yeah. You know, I, I, I know, but I, I've talked to a lot of people and I've asked them like, uh, so, are, you know, before I do anything to their phone, are you backing your phone up? And they really have no idea. Right. Um, I have, I, yeah, there's, there, I was just talking to two different uh, female individuals that uh, have iPhones that uh, are in my close circle and they're both planning to upgrade to iOS 8. And I asked them both, are you up? Are you backing up? Do you back up to iTunes? Do you back up to iCloud? Are you backing up your phone? Because you should back it up before you upgrade to iOS 8 next week or this week. Neither one of them knew. So I just don't know what to make of that. They don't even know if they're backing up or not. So 
Yeah, so I mean that in itself is a much more basic, much scary problem that people click on things they don't know what the hell they're clicking. Well, and I think right, maybe right? that that also pushes these companies to just make it as transparent and easy as possible, which right. leads to the not knowing it's happening. All right, well, we've got uh, two more emails coming in on different topics. Uh, in fact, uh, this next one's kind of funny. I think you're going to find this one pretty fascinating. First, I want to tell you about our first sponsor this week, and that is the awesome folks over at Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's where you want to get started, linuxacademy.com slash coders. You'll save up to 20% on the Linux Academy membership. Linux Academy is a great service that's constantly adding new stuff. In fact, they have some big, big upgrades coming very soon. They have some information about that once you log in. Linux Academy is a fantastic resource that I've used in the past to keep myself up to date, keep myself current, and now I've used it more and more as new things come out. Uh, Things like... uh, OpenStack that I've really never had a chance to implement in production, but would love to just kind of get my hands a little bit on it, you know, just try it, do some some practical implementations, and, and Linux Academy offers that. In fact, as the courseware needs it, they just spin me up a virtual server on the fly, which is really cool because it feels like, why not? Why doesn't everyone do it this way now? And there's just many things because these guys really know what they're doing. They're Linux enthusiasts and educators that came together to build a great resource for the community. And one of the things that shows you, like, they just... They, even their approach here, like when you first create when you first create a Linux Academy account and you log in, one of the first courses you can take is getting started and learning how to use Linux Academy. And it, this is just a great example right here of how they work. You get time estimations for each section. You can you can see right where you're, if I was already in progress, you'd see right where I left off. If there's any comprehensive audio guides, they're available for download, or any PDFs, materials, things like that to go with it, also available for download. And the other thing that's really cool is they have seven plus Linux distributions you can choose from. And then they will automatically adjust the courseware depending on the course you've chosen. And here's another great example I'll use. Say you've decided it is time we re- we address our backups or we need to make better use of rsync. If you've looked at rsync before and you know it's a tool you could get more out of and you need to sort of learn some of the things about it, you go take the Linux Academy course on it. It's, it's a great example. Or say you need to implement something on AWS. And you need to try a few things out before you go do it in the real world. Need to learn some fundamentals or refresh yourself on the basics. Linux Academy has tons of great courses on that stuff. They're adding new stuff every single week, including live shows where you can do Q&A with the educators, a great community where you can participate in the forums, and, of course, tons of great courseware where you can keep track of yourself, quiz yourself as you go, and just do the coursework when you have time. Late, after work. During the day, whatever it is, you, if I can fit it in, I'm pretty sure you can fit it in. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Why not go step it up a notch? Make yourself a little more employable. Maybe bill a little more on that next contract, or if nothing else, just a little personal achievement. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio Show. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Okay, Mr. Dominic, next batch of emails. Here we go, and these will wrap up our emails for the day. Too fast to ban, I think that's how you say it, writes in. He says, hey, JB Awesomeness, I'm trying the Dvorak challenge. Huh? Dvorak keyboard. Man, what a pain. If you've been using QWERTY for some more than 10 years like I have, after two weeks, everything is still slow, but I don't make that many mistakes anymore. But I still have to think before I type every single letter. I, however, went all in and ditched QWERTY everywhere, even on my phone. So he says, I'm a developer, and these are the things that bug me. Okay. Copy and paste is a pain in the ass. I used to be able to copy and paste with one hand on the mouse and one hand on the keyboard, which is a no-go on Dvorak. Other muscle memory keyboard shortcuts all of a sudden perform other operations, too. Using Vi is a challenge, again, due to muscle memory. And now I have to think when typing passwords, again, 
muscle memory. I keep using it because I get the feeling my air rate will be lower with this keyboard. I, I don't mind not having the correct keyboard because that forces me to type blind. Kind regards from Belgium. Too fast to ban. What do you think? You gonna the Dvorak challenge there, Mister Dominic? No, I don't. No. I, I think the Dvorak challenge. I just don't need it. Screaming I, challenge. Yeah, I can. Bear, I think I type about as fast as I can think. So I can type. I type a lot faster than I can think. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, okay, PT Dave writes in with our last email today. This might be one that we could sort of kick off, and then maybe folks could write in a few follow ups with some pointers for PT. He says, hey, guys, I recently was offered a new position to go along with one of my old ones. This time, it's to teach intro to programming, C++, AP programming, Java, networking, and A-plus computer repair to high school students. I have been striving to make these classes career-oriented, and I was curious, short of fizz buzz, what have your complaints, what have your complaints been on what teachers fail to teach? I plan on covering, obviously, the basics, but I want to cover working in groups on, or on a single project, licensing, and maybe even Git. Any thoughts are appreciated. PT Dave. What do you think, Mike, if you could go to all the teachers in the world and say, just teach them this? You know, I would even say this goes beyond coders. I mean, so let me give you my generic one, and then I'll give you a technical one. I feel like, and this might be a little bit of a bias, and I don't know how well this translates over to our friends in Europe and Asia, but I feel like a lot of public schools these days don't allow their students to fail properly. For instance, if you turn an assignment at least when I went to school, if I turned it an assignment late, you got a zero or an F, right? How would whatever right. the rubric was, it was a zero effectively an F. Right. Uh, and the lesson there was once you're out of school You're gonna fail if you do that. Right. And you know, in the workforce, it's not you get an F but you get all A's, well you still get a B or a C. It's you get an F, you're fired on the spot kind mm. of deal. Mm-hmm. So you're saying you should like be that, a dick. <laughs> Well, not not really be a no. Dick, I know, right? I know, I know. <laughs> kind of like you know, the report was due on Monday morning at nine o'clock, not Tuesday at noon. I don't know. Maybe I am a dick. No, um, I actually think that's pretty fair. I think that's how it should be. Right. Uh, discipline is kind of what you're getting at. Some some right. discipline, uh, and maybe um, maybe cutting down on some of that. Um, not expectation. What's the right? Uh, not self entitlement. Is that what I'm thinking? Entitlement. Entitlement. I think. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. The sort of the well, why wouldn't you give me this job? I'm amazing. Factor. Right, right, yeah. Humble. Maybe I mean, it's a little humbleness and maybe try to convey to them that it is a huge, huge industry that you will never be the master of the entire thing. But you can try to be a master of a little a portion of it, but go into it with an open mind. And also maybe try to convey to these students that sometimes when you come across something that seems so stupid, why would you have done that in Java? And then you dig into it and you, you know, if you, if you have an open mind, you'll sort of understand their pain and learn why they did it that way. Teaching someone mm-hmm. that is, I don't know how you would do that, but people knew that, gosh, that'd be valuable. I mean, one of the biggest, um, or I would say more common things that I see is, you know, we get, we get, because we hire mostly young people, right? We get young people in and my God, that first week is rough for them. Mm. You know, kind of, okay, well, here's your assignment. Have fun. It doesn't, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's been a change and it hasn't been for the better in the way kids are taught. For instance, I know. You know, talking to a lot of like recent college graduates, so there's a lot of emphasis on group work, which might make a lot of sense if you're like doing, I don't know, building a car, right? Something where you're working with other people, to the point where some of these uh, these young folks can't actually do anything on their own, mm. right? Where they need to constantly work in the group. Boy, in an age of Google and code all yeah. over the net, that just seems kind of silly. Painful. 
Yeah. Or that's a great one. The ability to look up an answer on your own. Mm-hmm. I mean, my stock answer is Google it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Google it. Stack Overflow. Google. That's it. Because really these days, like if you're a junior developer being given junior development tasks, I, I promise you someone has done this on Stack Overflow. I'm like reading the chat from Heaven's Revenge says, I hate how people trying to teach the current practice without knowing why current practice has become the best. It always frustrates right. me. Right. Like, I, I wouldn't say, like, I don't, I don't care if a kid comes out of, you know, your AP Java class. You know, certainly he better not know the word Scala. <laughs> so I think that's just getting a little ahead of himself. But, you know, he doesn't need to tell me about functional programming. He doesn't need to tell me even, he, you know, even about, like, maybe a little bit of OO, but I, because all that stuff changes, right? Yeah, That's like fashion. Yeah, yep. All that stuff gets circled in and out and whatever. But if he could, you know, understand maybe why you don't want to duplicate code, forget about what method he uses not to do, but just the reason. T- teach or, them they don't have to reinvent the earth every time. Right. Maybe, maybe that there is such a thing as open source. Yeah. And it might be helpful to Google for an open source library before embarking on some three-week-long journey. Right. Um, huh. And maybe source control, but that's a little greedy. I think source control. Well, he did mention Git. I mean, I would be, you know. Git, I mean, but but that's falling into the trap. Right? Git right now is the hotness. Yeah. Give me five years. But right? maybe you could teach the concepts using the hotness. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, who knows in five years, right? Yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Maybe, well, maybe it's the why. Maybe they just need to know, like, why do you? Why shouldn't you do the following crazy things? And then, because you can kind of extrapolate from there, right? You can kind of say, oh, you mean I shouldn't start shipping pre-1.0 products to people? Really? Huh? You know, I, I, of course, this is this is self-serving, but it seems to me like also, why not make listening to certain development podcasts part of the curriculum? <laughs> I mean, really? like, you know, And using the promo codes, really. Like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to mention ours, although I would recommend it. But really, like, talk about... Talk about, like, as a student, just trying to get an idea of what the actual industry is like and the people that are in the thick of it, what they go through. I, I, I would have done anything when I was in school to have podcasts as a resource for IT administration and, and stuff like in security. Oh, do you remember development magazines where you're, yeah, where yeah. you're hardcore just sitting in there typing yeah. the code pages? That's, that's all pages. you had. That's all. That's was, And if you had a typo, you were just screwed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, later on, they started shipping them with CDs, the more expensive ones. But oh, that was yeah, fifteen dollars yeah. for a magazine yeah. or something ridiculous like yeah. that. Sure, that was like as good as it got. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I I mean, to to me, uh, sometimes the because sometimes not the, not that the teachers don't have great insights too, but sometimes hearing these people that are out there creating things and having them talk about it, I don't know. It seems to me like I would have killed to have that back in the day. I'd like to hear the audience's insights. Coderadio.reddit.com or jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. What would you pass along to PT Dave? And maybe we can read it in a future episode of the Coder Radio Show. And good luck, PT. Let us know how that turns out. Uh, Mike, so we got to get into what uh, Notch talked about. And I don't know. I'm trying to figure out if maybe some of it resonates with me. I think maybe it does, and I'm not sure why. Uh, but before we do that, I want to mention DigitalOcean. Now, this is a great spot you need to get over to right now. If you've got anything you need to put up online, this is how you need to do it from now on. The way of the future is here, my friends, and you're welcome because we've got a great deal for you. So let me tell you a little bit about DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and really 
the easiest way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a new cloud server in probably about 55 seconds or less, and pricing plans start at only $5 a month, which will get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, ooh, hello density, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer connected to tier one bandwidth. All over the world, DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. They're turning on new features all over the place, like IPv6, private networking, CoreOS. Yeah, CoreOS. It's incredible. It's awesome. In fact, if you use our promo code CODERSEPTEMBER when you check out, CODERSEPTEMBER will get you a $10 credit. Well, like I mentioned, that's that first rig over DigitalOcean, that drop is $5 a month. $10 credit is going to get you a two-month discount. You can try it out for two months absolutely free and see what you can do with your own awesome rig up in the cloud powered by DigitalOcean where you can take advantage of their amazing user interface. It's simple. Their control panel is so intuitive and power users can replicate it on a much larger scale with DigitalOcean's straightforward API. And you're seeing so many great use cases of that already today. And they just continue on because developers freaking love DigitalOcean. In fact, I heard about them through Mike because he uses it for a bunch of his backend infrastructure. And now Jupyter Broadcasting is using it for a whole bunch of ours. It is great. You can take snapshots. You can move them around. If you need to make any changes, you've got to take a big risk. Make a backup of it. And you get such great speed for such incredible value. When you need to spin something up, you know it's going to take you less than a minute. So it's not a huge barrier to entry to get started. It's awesome. And when you use that promo code, Coder September, when you check out, you'll get that $10 credit. You could try it out for two months for absolutely free. Man, I love DigitalOcean. Go check them out and see how those SSDs make a difference. DigitalOcean really, they figured it out. They saw the way things were going. They said, if we make an early investment in great hardware, fantastic SSD drives, we use Linux on the back end, KVM, and then if we can manage it with an interface better than anybody else has ever built, if we can pull all of that off and expose it with a great API, well, like they say, if we build it, they will come, and they have. They've got an awesome control panel, one-click application install, lots of distros for you to choose from, more getting added like CoreOS, which is an amazing opportunity for developers to get to play with right now. If you need a blog, they've got a one-click WordPress installation, want a whole LAMP stack, maybe it'll get lab love. They've got that too. They've got all kinds of stuff. There's no question about it. DigitalOcean is the place to go. DigitalOcean.com, code of September when you check out. And a really, really big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. I was thinking maybe I would just read Notch's post because it's not much longer than some of the emails we get on this show. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty good. Yeah, so go he uh, starts it with, uh, I'm leaving Mojang. And uh, he says, I don't see myself as a real game developer. I make games because it's fun and because I love games and I love to program. But I don't make games with the intention of them becoming huge hits. And I don't try to change the world. Minecraft certainly became a huge hit and people are telling me it changed games. I never meant for it to do either. I, it's certainly flattering. And to gradually thrust into some kind of public spotlight is interesting. Relatively a long time ago, I decided to step down from Minecraft development. Jens was the perfect person to take over leading it, and I wanted to try to do new things. At first, I failed by trying to make something big again. But since I decided to just stick with small prototypes and interesting challenges, I've had so much fun with work. I wasn't exactly sure how I fit into Mojang, where people did actual work, but since people said I was important to the culture, I stayed. That's interesting right there. He says, I was at home with a bad cold a couple of weeks ago when the internet exploded with hate against me over some kind of EULA situation I had nothing to do with. I was confused. I didn't understand. I, I tweeted this, and he links to what he tweeted in frustration. Later on, I watched this Phil Fish video on YouTube and started to realize that I didn't have something, I didn't have the connection to my fans I thought I had. I'd become a symbol. I don't want to be a symbol. 
I'm, uh, I don't want to be a symbol responsible for something huge that I don't understand, that I don't want to work on, that keeps coming back to me. I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not a CEO. I'm a nerdy computer programmer who likes to have opinions on Twitter. As soon as this deal is finished, the deal with Microsoft and Mojang, I will leave Mojang and go back to doing Ludum Dars. Or I think that's how you say it. A small and small web experiments. If I ever accidentally make something that seems to gain traction, I'll probably abandon it immediately. Considering the public image of me already is a bit skewed, I don't expect to get away from negative comments by doing this, but at least now I don't have the responsibility to read them. I'm aware this goes against a lot of what I've said in public, and I have a response to that. Oh, and I have no good response to that. I'm also aware a lot of you were using me as a symbol of some perceived struggle. I am not. I am a person. And I am right there struggling with you. I love you. All of you. Thank you for turning Minecraft into what it has become. But there are too many of you. And I can't be responsible for something this big. In one sense, it belongs to Microsoft now. In a much bigger sense, it's belonged to all of you for a long time. And that will never change. It's not about the money. It's about my sanity. That's a pretty interesting... So here you have a developer working on something for fun that blows up in a way that never could have maybe, say, 10 years ago, and becomes this huge phenomenon that sells for $2.5 billion, and he doesn't want anything to do with it. Yeah, so... Uh, I'll let you go first. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's a fascinating thing. Um, first of all, I, I sometimes wonder about... Uh, I don't know about if responsibility is the right word, but when you create something like this, I almost feel like it is then maybe your duty to keep it going. But I can understand that he was done. He was checked out. And when somebody comes at you with this much money, I mean, it would be crazy, crazy to say no, especially if you're not happy anymore. And I think that's the really interesting struggle that I identify with is he's created something that he thought would be his ultimate dream. And then he got to that point, and he got there and realized, you know, this isn't really actually what I like doing. I, I thought it was what I like doing. It's not actually what I like doing. And now I'm trapped. I'm stuck. I'm here because they need me as some figurehead. I'm an icon, blah, blah, blah. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here, he thinks to himself. And then Microsoft comes along and offers him sort of a golden parachute. He can go off. He's set for the rest of his life. Microsoft will monetize Minecraft with uh, deals and movies and, and cartoons and toys. And he'll make a cut of that for the rest of his life. He can work on whatever he wants. It's an amazing deal for him. I'm not so sure it's an amazing deal for fans. But I can understand. Like, I kind of got that way with IT. I thought... I want to get in this. I want to become, you know, I want to build these huge networks with these massive infrastructures to them that are just the coolest things I've ever thought of building. And every time I want to build a bigger and better one that's even cooler and works better and is more automated. And I got to that point and I realized I hate doing this. And I had to get out. But I just, what I have a heart, I just, boy, it seems like for some people they get to the top and it freaks them out, not the, the almost the public aspect of it. I don't think that would ever bother me that much. I don't know, Mike. I, when you look at it, so, so, so I, like one, I, I yeah, I don't think he has any duty to like maintain Minecraft no. forever personally, right? So all of that kind of stuff. Is it the dream? Is, is it the indie developer dream? Is that what he just is now captured? Well, I think what's really interesting is like you know Minecraft came at the end of what was this you know this kind of um, golden age of um, you want to say like indie games, small games. I don't I don't know which term people are using anymore. You know, it started off with. Um, Oh, what's the guy's name? Jonathan Blow at Braid went into Phil Fish, and now in Notch was in my mind like the last one, right? The last really big one, and probably the biggest. Yeah. Well, let's look at them. So Notch is piecing out. <laughs> Fish had a little bit of a breakdown. 
And uh, Jonathan Blow is, is kind of back doing his own little weird things again. I almost feel like there was this great time when the development tools for games had just become cheap enough that a small team could really produce something cool. And we got all these very creative people really like into the industry doing great stuff. But once it, you know, once they saw success, the business side of it came into play. Mm, yeah. And I, I just feel like they weren't ready for that. So you think what we were seeing was a result of the tools getting to a certain maturity point and like this was inevitable once a certain tool set was available and we saw essentially a few people with the right idea at the right time? I'm not sure it was inevitable. I, I think what it is is you had some very creative people you know, who built, built very creative teams but maybe weren't the best business people, right? No, for sure. Yeah, cool. I mean, yeah, they're developers. They don't care about that. They care about making like, cool code. Like, let's think about Phil Fish, right? Like how, how much happier would he have been if he just never created a Twitter account, hired some PR guy or PR gal to, to handle his, his public, his right. customer base. Um, and, and yeah, I have a lot of empathy for these guys because certainly that customer base is probably like the hardest customer base to keep happy. Sure. Right? Sure. They're very vocal and they're, well, and the you Minecraft know, they, ones in particular, a lot of them are younger, not yes. all of them, no, for sure, but some of them, a good portion. So that's, you know, sometimes makes things a little more vile, maybe like over a EULA change than, you know, older gamers might. I don't know. I might be stereotyping, but it seems like that's a possibility. I like your concept about the tool set and that these guys weren't right. really ever trying to create a big company. And so this was sort of going to be baked in. It was always, This was always sort of doomed to happen in a sense. I don't know if doomed is the right word, but it was always if, – if you have a company built around a certain developer and their personality and their, their the core of their personality is to be on these small indie projects that – don't go big in corporate. I mean, I think what's interesting about this is, like, the, obviously a big part of this is he's done. He's out. Like, when he tweets about it, when he blogs about it, he opens up with, I'm out. I'm leaving as soon as this deal's over. I'm out of here. That's what all the headlines read. Notch is out as soon as the Microsoft deal's over. I think that a lot of this is about getting away from um, the corporate life for him. A lot of times when these acquisitions go, you keep that figurehead at least for a year. And if they don't, if they don't hang out, they don't get the full purchase price. That's a pretty common thing. Yeah, and, I, and I, you know, I mean, we don't know this, but one wonders if there couldn't have been more money had he been willing to kind of, oh. you know, do some appearances for Microsoft Studios. I don't think he's like in that. it for the money, like he says. I don't think it would have mattered. I don't think he is. I don't, I don't think he's the business guy. And I think, you know, interestingly, if he wasn't a majority shareholder in Mojang, this deal might not have happened, right? Yeah, rumors have it. I've I've seen Bloomberg, Reuters, and Polygon report that uh, he actually sort of reinitiated the talks. Microsoft kind of approached them when they first launched on the Xbox, right. and they said, "Well, if you're ever interested, just let us know." And right. I guess Notch kind of got interested again, and it sounds like he might have started things, which I don't know how true that is. But well, I mean, at the end of the day, too, right? If you're a shareholder of Mojang, a twenty-five billion dollar offer from Microsoft, two point five, two point five, two point five. I'm yeah. sorry, two point five. Oh. You know, at that size, it almost doesn't matter. Right. And really, you know, he's also going to get residuals from all of the merchandising. They say they're right. going to nurture the franchise. I bet you that. I bet you they will. I mean, they could make I don't, movies out of this. Kids would watch the crap out of that. My, my, my son is five years old, already loves Minecraft. Right. He would watch the crap out of that stuff. I mean, my, my question is going to be, you know, we've seen a lot of, remember, 38 studios that went into, uh, what is it, receivership from the state of Rhode Island, mm, right? mm We've seen a lot of these little indie companies get bigger and then kind of implode. Um, and on the scale of that, this is a pretty good exit, right? Microsoft yeah. buys you out for two and a half billion dollars. Yeah, that yeah. seems 
seems good to me. You think that? Do you think that though that it's going to be a huge impedance mismatch with the Microsoft corporate culture? I mean, the thing about Minecraft is the community really goes wild like nothing Microsoft has. You know, the people that build servers, they mod the hell out of it, they reskin it. There's all kinds of really like a lot of community control over Minecraft. It's not typical for a Microsoft product. I I don't know of anything else Microsoft has like this. Can they can they nurture something like this that's so foreign to everything else they do? Well, I you know I don't know where Minecraft goes from where it is, right? Because it's a sandbox. So do do you try to make Minecraft too? You maybe. I mean, that seems a little weird just because of the open nature of the game. I think you make movies and games and toys. So you think you make like the Legend of Minecraft, like mobile games and stuff? Huh? Yeah, exactly. Maybe those could even be exclusives. Ah, uh, on the Windows Phone. Maybe because there's not, you know, what's the number one game on iOS is my, my, my not right now, but on average, the top selling game on the iOS platform is Minecraft. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So you got to figure Microsoft's been looking at that, going, man, and that's top paid too. That's a paid game. And now they just got the top iOS game. They got a great Android game. They have a game on the PlayStation now. They have a Linux game now. I thought they always had a Linux version. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Like they just they just bought Microsoft just yeah. bought a huge ass Java app that has an Android version, a Linux version, a Linux server version, right? Like this is pretty this is pretty different. And 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 of course Mojang's not a huge company. It's not like they just added a whole bunch of people to their ranks, but they're doing this in the shadow of massive layoffs. Yes, okay, but they're buying this with tax-free income, right? Right, overseas so money. Mo- Mojang is in, I'm sorry, where are they, Norway? This, no. by the way, explains part of that purchase price is because this is the fourth company in 2014 that Microsoft has bought using overseas cash stock. Right. So they're just blowing through that. Risk. And this is kind of the model, right? Large American companies prefer to buy foreign companies because they don't have to pay income tax when they repatriate their, their funds. Uh, then that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. But. All right. Well, before we move off too far from this, you were talking about the tool sets and how they might have enabled some of the developers. Well, a, a hugely popular tool set right now is Unity and Unity Technologies and the Unity Engine. Uh, Unity Technologies is supposedly, according to VentureBeat, in talks to sell with prices anywhere between $1 billion or $2 billion, so about uh, almost a cost of Minecraft. This would be massive. If this changed, you know, we were just down at PAX, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, and uh, everybody in the indie booth is talking about, or I guess they call it Indie Isle now, is talking about Unity. And a lot of the Linux developers we interviewed down at PAX are using Unity. Unity, Unity, Unity. And there's bad Unity games and there's good Unity games. Mike, uh, is this going to screw small game developers if Unity uh, gets bought up by somebody big? Or is it no big deal, do you think? Whatever happens, Unity is going to be around. I don't think anybody's going to get screwed, right? If you're buying Unity, you're not going to cut off your customers. You're, you might charge more. But Unity, for what it is, is extremely inexpensive, right? So I, I can't see in any way this being bad. In fact, I would say that if a larger company bought Unity, could they bring more resources to the problem? Hmm, yeah, maybe. Yeah, like maybe they could. I guess I actually think I kind of agree. I don't. I was trying to see if I could come up with the devil's right. advocate, but I actually think that you know now that uh, the Unreal, new Unreal Engine is out and the model they're using, right. where it's like five bucks or whatever it is to get in plus a cut, and you get full source code access. We've we covered that story about that developer that was jumping from Unity to Unreal, and they're not the only one. So they might be in a tough spot. This might be a good. Uh, this might be good for them. You never know. Yeah, I think Unity's biggest thing is that they. You know, they're, they're not a huge company, and they probably need more resources to bear on the problem. Yeah. 
Uh, and the problem being that the performance of Unity is not the performance of Unreal, and Unreal is now super accessible to pretty much anyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, remember, Unity's, Unity's competitive advantage originally was we are the only engine who will talk to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know... And now, and now, Unreal is. I mean, I, I think, I think maybe Unity was caught, a, caught a little flat-footed by that. Perhaps we'll see. Well, I, I, I certainly. I mean, I don't think anybody expected Unreal to, to change their pricing model like that so dramatically, too. Yeah. Uh, in fact, if you're if you're a student, little tip: you get full free access. You can get to the source code of the Unreal Engine and play with it all you want. The only time you have to give them any money is if you actually make a game and it sells. If they take like a five percent cut or a three percent cut, something like that, they have a really great deal for students. So if you want to go play with like an industry leading game engine and development toolkits, you can do it for free. And you know that's what Unity's up against. But it gives you an idea of, you know, these tools are super important because they can they can they can spur off an entire new um, section of the gaming industry when they when they uh, are great. Yeah. All right, Mike, is there anything else we want to cover on today's episode? No, I think we're good. All right, well, we'd love to hear from you. Let us Give us any feedback. Let us know any of your thoughts on the stuff we've talked about. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Choose Coder Radio from the drop-down, or even better, coderadio.reddit.com. Mike, is there anywhere you'd, anywhere you'd like to send folks throughout the week to get a little more Dominic in their life? Just follow me on Twitter at Dominico. Boom. You can follow me on Twitter, too, at Chris L-A-S. And don't forget, we're live on a Monday. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. We'd love to have you join us live and hang out in our chat room. Help us title it. Uh-oh, chat room. Get bang suggestion. Only a few few seconds left to title the episode, and then we'll vote. <laughs> Mike's running off to vote right now. All right, everyone. Yeah, thanks I'm so much. Yeah, grabbing my Nexus. Yo, you got to go vote, Mike. You got to go vote. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here next week. <laughs>